Thank you for watching this online message from Riverstone Church. We hope that this content encourages you and helps you further develop your relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit riverstonechurch.net. There you can learn more about us, view additional messages, submit your prayer needs, and even give online. Thank you for watching, and may the Lord richly bless you. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Text from last week, text again this week. But to each one of us, grace has been given. To you, to me, grace has been given. In fact, I think it might be worth us repeating that. Say with me, grace has been given to me. Amen. Grace has been given to each one of us. According to the measure of Christ's gift, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the public reading of Scripture, and we thank you, God, for your graciousness today, and we just pray for your mercy and kindness to rest upon us in these moments. Holy Spirit, we ask you to minister and to flow according to your will. We pray, Lord, that you would bind up our hearts today, touch those who are brokenhearted in this place, touch those who need the ministry of the Holy Spirit, touch those today, God, who are struggling with their faith, touch those, Lord Jesus, who need hope for the future. We know you'll be faithful to do that, God, and so we stand firm upon your promises, thanking you for your goodness, for your love for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. You may be seated. Amen, amen. As we mentioned over the last uh, few weeks as we've been in this passage of Ephesians uh, chapter 4. Uh, I will say that in the approaching this particular text, I've been praying and thinking and asking the Lord for wisdom uh, over the last several months of really how uh, uh, how he would have it to be delivered, uh, God's wisdom, God's grace, uh, for us to understand how do these gifts operate in the local assembly of believers. Because what I'm assured of is that you are gifted 
God has gifted you. God has gifted me to serve in his kingdom. I'm assured of that. I'm assured that these gifts are available uh, for us to operate in for his glory. I'm assured of that. What I also want to be assured of is what does it look like in present day, in the present day? What does it look like for us in the present day to operate in the giftings that God has given to his church? The gracious, beautiful, glorious, wonderful gifts that God has given to his church. What does that look like for you and for me? As I have thought about that and have prayed about that, I think that there is no... Uh, there is no better time than right now for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be in operation for the glory of Jesus' church. We have to pray that the move and the gifts of the Spirit would be operational, whatever that would look like. And I can tell you, I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the understanding or all the wisdom. But I do believe that we're in a day and a time that more than ever, we need the work of the Holy Spirit present in the people of God. Gone are the days where we can be a little lethargic about our gifts and the places that we serve and where we serve. You and I must do exactly what we talked about last week, and that's desire the spiritual gifts to be operation in and through us for the glory of God because we live in such a time where we must have the power of the Spirit working through the people of God to bring hope and healing in our own lives, but also to out of the abundance or the overflow to be able to offer hope and healing to other people. We're in a situation in our world right now where things are, for some, becoming so bleak and so difficult that the, 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 the foundations of our culture are crumbling and people aren't sure which way to turn or where to turn or who to look to when you and I have the truths of scripture and we understand that we stand firm upon the promises of God we cannot stand idly by and simply watch things go to hell in a handbasket I believe in God's plan to orchestrate world events to get the church's attention, even here in Charlottesville, Virginia. Who would have thought that this week we'd have to put a prayer request out from our church mentioning a drive-by shooting across from the mall? Who would have thought? In Charlottesville, Virginia. The enemy's attack that is happening in our midst is on God's people. It's on the church. His goal is to stamp out our posterity, to stamp out a legacy of the gospel. And it's happening by multiple ways, multiple avenues. My concern pastorally as a father, as a man, is about young men who are coming up uh, younger than I am, who are not that I'm so young, but younger than me, who are having to face a world in which down is up and up is down and wondering what are they to do with what is being placed before them. I think now more than ever, it's good for a young man when you finish school to get married, to find a career, to find a wife, to have a family. I encourage you to have a big family. 
It'll make you work. It'll make you think. It'll make you be concerned about what is going on because you've got to think there's children coming after me. There's children looking to me. It's also a great way to grow a church. There's no reason to wait until 30, 35, 40, 45, unless God has led you in that direction. God does lead, and I don't discount that. There's no reason to wait to those age times. Paul said it's better for you to get married than to burn with passions that are uncontrollable. Love the wife of your youth. It's okay. Yes, it may be difficult at 19, 20, and 21 years old, but you have people that will surround you and help you. I believe it's a high calling for two people to fall in love as God brings them together and to live a life committed to Him. If He blesses them with children, then praise the Lord to be able to raise a generation that would seek after the Lord. But I believe the world is aligned against this high calling. And so we have to be wise in our observation of what is going on in the world around us. So we can see things happening over there and things happening in government and things happening in the school and things happening in the medical realm and things happening uh, across the world in another nation. We can think of all those things as separate things that are going on, but it's actually a movement towards one thing. The enemy is moving and shaking. He is the prince and power of the air, the scripture says. And I believe that what we're seeing in terms of this, uh, the current uh, focus, both on abortion rights, these notions of gender and Multiple genders, the notions of children prior to puberty being given surgery and other things that will prevent them from having children in the future, it's an attack on the family. A stamping out of a godly posterity, taking children who are so young who don't understand and don't know and essentially castrating them so that they cannot produce a godly population. We may say those are some hard words, but we live in tough times. We live in tough times. And yes, this has to do with the message and it has to do with some other things with regards to Riverstone Church. We have to be keenly focused on how we are raising up the next generation, to grasp a hold of the faith. Because what the Scripture tells us is that in the end times, the deceptions will be so great that God will have to bring a conclusion to it that even the very elect would be deceived. And so I found myself on a spectrum in terms of how the church should practically move to address these type of concerns and issues. In years past, the church would, I've, I've, I've heard it with my owners, pull the younger generation out of the congregation, put them in their own 
environment away from parents, teach and train them in a, in a very, sometimes very upbeat, exciting way, and then try to integrate them back into church at 18, 19, and 20 years old and something that looks very different from what they had experienced from 12 to 18. And what we found statistically is even in that 11, 12, and 13-year-old time frame, kids were losing the faith. They were simply coming to church because mom and dad came to church. No vibrancy, no desire, no passion, no earnestness for prayer. Mom and dad are making me come to church. And I've been on the other side of the spectrum where we have had no focus ministry to that age group, where we've really tried to press in and equip parents to do that work themselves and to say, parents, you can do this. This is your responsibility. And some can rise to the occasion and others through no fault of their own because of struggles and challenges from a broken world it's more difficult and we have to recognize that our world is broken and the church has to operate not just focusing on what is the ideal but also realizing that there are some pains that are in people's lives that prevent them from doing some things for the gospel until they overcome that pain and challenge so we have to do something where we are focused, where we are equipping, and where we recognize the need of the hour. What all that will look like, I'm not sure. But through seasons of prayer, through discussion with leadership within the church, and through seeking the Lord, we want to, as a congregation, focus on that next generation. We want to give a focus on the next generation, helping parents to be all they can be, recognizing also that there are some kids whose parents aren't going to come to church with them. And there has to be a place for them to grow and develop here, to recognize also that there are going to be some parents who are simply worn out because they're trying to tread water. And they need some help as well. And we're going to be a church who will stand in the gap. We're going to help the helpless. We're going to help the parents. We're going to equip and we're going to call up that in this day there will be some who get to that 18, 19, and 20-year-old age bracket and aren't saying, I'm leaving now that mom and dad don't force me to come. But what I long to see in this house is 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13-year-olds earnest in the altar in prayer, pouring it out to God, operating in the gifts of the Spirit, calling people up to righteousness, walking in that power at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 20, 30, 40, 50, being Faithful with the gospel. And I believe that's something that we all desire and we all need. Through prayer, through discernment, we have 
invited our brother and sister, Mike and Autumn Temple, to step into that gap in a essentially volunteer capacity. We'll help them with some expenses. We'll help them in some ways. But we have asked them to stand in the gap and to help focus us towards this next generation ministry for the glory of Jesus. Amen. So what we want to do today, this is part of the message. This is not a pre-message statement. This is part of the message. We're recognizing gifts in operation. We want to invite them to come, and I'm going to ask some brothers and sisters to come. We're going to lay hands on them, set them forth into this ministry, and we're going to do everything we can as a congregation to cheer them on. We're going to do everything we can to cheer them on, to see God do something great for his glory. Will you all come? Can I have a few of you all just stand and come and stand with them this morning as we set them forth? into this aspect of next generation ministries. What we've asked him to do, you know, it's easy to put a job description out before someone and say, hey, can you do this? That's not what we're doing here. What we have said is, will you take the next two or three months, will you begin to flow, begin to meet leaders, begin to interact, and begin to pray, and let's see what God says about this. Let's see what the Lord says about this. And so that's what we'll be doing over the next few months. So if you would, in these moments, let's stretch your hands forth. Let's pray. Let's set them forward to this ministry. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity, God. We thank you, God, for the grace and mercy of the Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. We pray, Father, for your hand and your anointing to be upon them. God, we thank you for this open door, and we thank you for the passion that is within them for this area and for this ministry, Lord. And so, God, we pray that you would keep them today. We pray that you would protect them, God. But I pray, Father, that you would just fall upon them with the powers and the gifting of the Holy Spirit, God, that they will operate in such a way that is so close and so near to your heart, O oh God, that you would be exalted, Lord Jesus. God, that we would see that passion. We would see that fire in our young people. God, not that we can create it of our own by doing some kind of program or some kind of opportunity, but God, we know as we seek you, as we long after you, as we stand upon your promises, God, that you will do a work for your glory. And so, God, we set them forth today to this task. We thank you, God, for the work which you are calling them to do. And we ask you to pour out your spirit upon them, giving them wisdom and grace in each and every circumstance for your glory. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love today. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Amen. Understanding that there are those who are gifted, God has gifted through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here in Ephesians chapter 4, we find five gifts that the scripture says the Lord has, with which the Lord has blessed the church. It says, Jesus himself gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping 
of the saints for the work of service. And I want to share with you how this is going to roll this morning, is we're going to focus most of the time on those first two, uh, apostle and prophet. We'll spend less time on the last three. Apostle and prophet are often misunderstood, I believe. Uh, I've been discerning and seeking to discern my own self. I've been asking questions of others. I've been praying. I've been studying the scriptures to understand, God, how do these gifts operate within the midst of the local assembly of the church? These gifts are here for us to equip you and I for works of service. They're leadership gifts to motivate you and I to serve faithfully in order that the body of Christ may be built up to be unified and mature. God has placed around us in the church, around you, around me, people who are gifted to help us grow. And we have to be part of the local assembly of believers in order to benefit from these gifts being in operation. It's important for us to be with a group of people where the gifts are in operation so that we benefit from the operation of those gifts to strengthen us so that we will not be tossed here and there by every wind and wave of doctrine, but through these gifts being in operation, we will stand firm in the faith. Personal and deep fellowship is important to your spiritual growth. And I believe that at times the church has lost its voice when these gifts are not in operation or there's a lopsided operation of the gift. In our day, I believe that the gift of pastor has often been the elevated gift to the detriment of others. It seems to be the most public in our day. But there's a necessity for all of the gifts to be faithfully operational for the growth and development of the church. I think if we look at the scriptures and we hear Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 4, we can get an understanding of these five gifts in action. With regards to a apostleship. I normally try not to kind of get in the weeds in a sermon, but I'm going to get in the weeds today, so bear with me, okay? I need you to bear with me for a few minutes. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 2, it lists for us the 12 apostles. Those are the ones that we are most uh, familiar with. After Judas's betrayal of Jesus, there were 11 and by lot, Matthias was chose, chosen <clears throat> to fill the spot that Judas had. In Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, the criteria for being chosen as an apostle is listed. When they were looking to fill the slot for Judas, they said, Therefore, Peter here, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, Beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So there are specific criteria given for that particular office of an apostle. It says it must be a man who was with them from the time of Jesus' baptism until his ascension. So it had to be someone who was observing the ministry of Jesus from the time that he began it 
at the baptism of John when the Holy Spirit came upon him until the time when they watched him go up into heaven. So there had to be people who were with Jesus and with the others during that span of about three years of time that were watching Jesus, fellowshipping with Jesus, interacting with Jesus. That was part of the requirements of stepping into that apostolic role from which they were going to choose someone. Apparently, there were several qualified individuals who could have taken Judas' spot. What that means is there were probably a few people who had done that, who had walked with Jesus, who believed in Jesus, who were there at John's baptism, who were there at the ascension, who saw what he did in between. There were a few people, and they took two of them. Matthias and Justice were the two that were set forward. But only Matthias was chosen to fulfill the office because there wasn't an unlimited number of apostolic offices during this time. There were only 12. Even though both men seemingly had the ability to fulfill the task. So I'm in the weeds. Twelve offices. One's vacant. At least two people are capable. One is chosen to fulfill the twelfth. One is still here who can fill it. Who's able who was part of this process. There's still one who didn't get chosen for the office, but I would say still had the gift. While the qualifications and the giftings of apostleship, again, were resident in both Matthias and Justice, Only Matthias was chosen to fulfill that office. The point here being that the original 12 apostles were very unique in their role. Matthew 19, 27 and following tells us that the 12 apostles will sit on 12 thrones judging the tribes of Israel. So the 12 apostles will sit on 12 thrones in heavenly glory judging the nations of Israel. So in this sense, there can only be 12 apostles. So while there's a limited number of apostolic offices, which are, I would say, currently filled, there continues to be those who operate in the apostolic gift. So hear me when I say I'm making a distinction, I believe based upon Scripture, that the office of apostle continues to be filled by the 12 that Jesus chose, minus Judas, plus the replacement, but that the gift of apostleship, the operation of the gift, continues to be needed and in operation today, meaning that in heavenly glory, there will not be other thrones added or additional apostles. But the gift that was resident in those who existed in the time of Jesus continues to be operational and necessary for the growth of Jesus' church. Now, again, I understand there's multiple perspectives here. I'm telling you after study, seeking, trying to understand what the Lord would have us to know here. This is how I believe the Scripture would instruct us. We see this in operation in the New Testament. 
there were 12 apostolic offices. But later portions of the New Testament, there are others referred to as apostles as well. If we were to go through, you could say there's possibly 15, maybe 17 apostles that are mentioned in the New Testament, having the gifting of apostleship. Barnabas and Paul are both referred to as apostles. James, the brother of Jesus, who was not one of the twelve, was referred to as an apostle. That would get us to 15, 16, and 17. It's possible in Romans 16, 7 that Andronicus and Junius were potentially apostles. The translation there is somewhat difficult. So here's what I'm bringing to you today in terms of the gifting. I believe that there were unique and special roles by the original 12 to lay a foundation of the gospel and for the scriptures for you and I. I believe there were offices that they fulfilled in order to help do that, but that office was fulfilled by men who had a gift. I believe that gift continues to be in operation today, laying a foundation in places where a foundation has not been laid before. Apostle simply means sent one. Sent one. One who is a special messenger of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, we see the apostolic gift operating in those who are pushing forward the boundaries of the gospel. These were the front line leaders, and the majority of them were martyred for their faith. The gift of apostleship, I believe, builds on the foundation, builds the foundation of the gospel in new places. Those who operate in this gift are laying the foundation in geographical areas where the gospel is not present. Or also laying a foundation for the gospel in societal areas where the gospel is not present. Exercising an apostolic gift in areas of our culture and society where the gospel needs to be laid where people need to hear the message of hope, laying a foundation for the gospel. I feel like I need a whiteboard. There's much more that could be said here. But I think you should pray. The Bible said it's good for us to pray and desire the spiritual gift. There may be those here within this congregation that God has gifted you with the gift of apostleship. You have a desire to lay a foundation where it hasn't been laid before. Your heart is after that. Maybe there's areas even within our culture that we see where there needs to be a faithful gospel witness where there isn't one right now. Maybe that's your calling and your gifting to see that come to pass. Maybe pray if God is calling you to operate within that role, the gift of apostleship. Secondly, the gift of prophet. There are many prophets and prophetesses in Scripture in both the Old and New Testament. The prophetic gifts are there in a twofold role. To foretell, thus says the word of the Lord. And to foretell, to tell God's future acts in human history. The challenge that we have as a congregation as we think about modern day prophets is how to receive the words that they speak. How authoritative 
are the words of those who operate in prophetic gifting. Doctrinally, the Scriptures are inspired, authoritative, God's Word to us, and there is nothing that can challenge its supremacy to guide our thoughts and actions. The Scriptures were written by holy men of old who have been divi- and have been divinely preserved for you and I, giving us everything that we need to know about God and salvation. This is why we treasure them. We love them. We stand when they're read because we recognize God's power to give us the Scriptures to teach us how to live. That said, I believe that God continues to speak to us through the prophetic gift. If you look at Acts 21 and 7, Philip, the evangelist, has four daughters. They are all indicated to be prophetesses. There's a brother named Agabus who comes in, and Agabus was also a prophet. And he symbolically acted out what was going to happen to the apostle Paul when he Return to Jerusalem. I've been around people who exercise and operate in the prophetic gift. And maybe you're a little skeptical that the prophetic gift or the apostolic gifts are even in operation today. I've been around those who operate in the prophetic gift. And I will tell you that my experience has been that they're often a little weird. And the reason for that is what happens with the prophet is they have a relationship with God that is such that God sort of peels back a little bit of his heart to them of what is going on in a person's life, what is going on in the world, what is going on in a leader's life, what is going on in the church. God peels back a little bit of the pain in his heart that they see, and then they bear up under that pain in order to give a message. So the prophet's life is often very conflicted because they're seeing things that God is showing them about what is happening, and sometimes it's hard to deal with. Not to mention the fact that God sometimes asks prophets to do some very difficult and challenging things. acted out symbolically. Someone has said that the prophet is like God's minstrel. You know those little toys that used to be uh, uh, that you would get that a marionette that you would kind of dangle it like that and it would kind of walk around? Many theologians say this is the way in which it is articulated in Scripture at times that God is using the prophet. He's directing He's moving their move. And when God reveals to you his heart, see, this is where we want to get, you and I. This is why I think the Apostle Paul says, pray and desire to prophesy. Because prophesying is not just some great revelation that pops in my head today that I'm just going to pour out and throw out to you. Prophecy is actually getting in the place where God, I'll put it this way, trusts us enough to open his heart a little bit and say, this is the pain that I am feeling over my unrepentant. This is the pain that I'm feeling over this unrepentant leader, and you're the one that's got to go and tell. 
No wonder leaders in the Old Testament wanted to kill the prophets. They wanted them gone. They didn't want to hear the message. Because when God shows you his heart, when he opens himself to you, it breaks you. And the most famous passage we see, we see it with Jeremiah, but we see it easily that we could all quote in Isaiah. God opens his heart, and what does Isaiah immediately say? Woe is me! I've seen your holiness, I've seen your glory, but I've also seen your pain over your people, God. Revealing his heart to the prophets. And this is why the prophets, what we... I learned a long time ago, I think I may have shared this. I went to a, a Pentecostal meeting over in Richmond. And uh, it was what you would think about going into like a 1940, 1950 compound uh, Pentecostal campground meeting. <laughs> it was block buildings that were kind of a little sketchy. It was, you know, sort of. Uh, it was interesting, you know, and I was there and we were praying and uh, worshiping and I, I came in order to worship, but I started as a spectator. So I was observing other people. And as I was observing other people, I can remember... This woman just kind of walking back and forth across the front, sort of acting kind of funny. And I'm just kind of, in my mind, I'm, I told you I like to be transparent with you, but in my mind I was thinking, what in the world is that? And it was kind of odd and uncharacteristic, and I'm thinking, what is going on there? And I'm seeing some other things, kind of people moving in certain ways and other things and I'm sitting there kind of evaluating myself, is this kind of, uh, you know, um, mental? Is this uh, God? Is this, what is this? And I will tell you, I felt the extreme conviction of the Lord that says, I have chosen the Foolish things to confound the wise. And if you want to stand there and be the wise man. If you want to stand there and pass judgment over people whose lives I've worked in. People whose lives I've transformed who are praising me more than you're praising me right now. And so I quickly tried to. Repent in my mind and engage myself in what was going on in worship around me. And I will tell you, this was maybe 15 years ago, 16 years ago. And I needed a word from the Lord at that moment. I needed direction from the Lord at that moment. I needed clarity from the Lord at that moment. And I go off into another little chapel room with a few people who I have no idea who they are. One other brother who I'm there, and again, I, I may have shared this before, but a guy with his cell phone, with the wire from the cell phone sticking in his ear like the old cell phones used to be, and he sat there, and we just gathered around. I didn't know him from anyone. And we gather in a circle, and he starts speaking to me exactly what I needed to hear from the mouth of God. And what some old-time Pentecostals will say, he read my mail. 
I needed somebody to read my mail in that moment. I needed to know that God heard, that God knew, that God had a plan. Yes, I believe that the prophetic gift continues to be in operation. Yes, I believe that the prophetic gift can manifest in many ways. There are times, I believe, when it's those who are preaching, who have that thus saith the Lord moment, that there is an operation of the prophetic gift in that moment. I believe that the prophetic gift can manifest itself in singing. I believe that prophetic word can manifest itself in a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge regarding a specific situation. It manifests itself in speaking God's truth to those who are in power. Prophecy is, again, one of the gifts the Apostle Paul says is a desirable gift for you and for me, and so we should earnestly pray about it. Would it be bold of us to pray, God, give us the prophetic gift. Make it operational in our church. Make these gifts all operational in our church, Jesus, for your glory, because we want that one thing, unity among us, building up of the faith into maturity, that we would see the gracious glory of God visit us. 1 Corinthians 14 and 29 says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. Just like on a Sunday morning, you shouldn't sit here and just go word for word, whatever Robert says is right. I hope you don't do that. (laughs) But you should check it against the Word of God, because that's how Paul tells us that the prophetic gift ought to operate. It ought to be discerned. It ought to be checked against what is authoritative. And so you and I must be discerning. You must be discerning when the word is being preached to you. Check it against the Bible. You have to know the Bible, meaning spend time in the Bible, studying the Bible, understanding God's word, get you tools to help you understand. I would encourage you that everything I'm saying to you this morning, study it against Scripture. You think you have a better understanding? I encourage you, let's talk about it because I want to learn. I want to know. With all of these gifts, we have to be careful that we do not assume that because we may have a gift or a gift may be in operation within us, that the operation of that gift is infallible. Throughout Scripture, we see God leading people in these giftings, but they are taught how to use them. And 1 Samuel, young boy, He was a prophet called of God. He did not discern that it was God who was speaking to him. It took a bad priest to teach him how to hear the voice of the Lord. Elisha, Elijah, and Elijah both ministered with at least three schools of prophets. The disciples who became the apostles trained under Jesus for three years. Paul was developed by Barnabas and others. The young pastor Timothy was developed by Paul and was told to stir up the gift within him. All of these gifts, apostle, prophet, 
evangelist, pastor, teacher. They all have to be developed. It's not a sin to develop a gift. It's not a sin to not really be sure. You know, there's ways you can give a, a word of discernment or a prophetic word to someone. If you walk and hit them on the back and say, God says to tell you. But there's also a humble way to come along and say, I've been praying, and I believe the Lord has put in my heart this word for you. Oh, what a difference. Then what that does, when someone comes to me in that way, what do I need to begin to do? I need to begin to pray about it. I need to begin to seek God and discern, is this truly a word from the Lord? You would think poorly of me if there was a new believer who came in our congregation this morning and said, I'm a Christian, I'm called to be a pastor, I've given my heart to the Lord, and I'm going to preach today. You'd think poorly of me if we put them in the pulpit right away, wouldn't you? Because we'd expect that there would be some training and development. We'd expect that there would be someone to come alongside, someone to help, someone to teach, someone to train, someone to develop. Then why don't we expect it with the other gifts as well? Evangelist, one who brings good news, someone who proclaims the gospel. I'm moving quickly through these last three. Someone who proclaims the gospel to those who have not heard and have not been faithful to the message. An evangelist is not someone who simply does itinerant preaching. It's not simply someone who goes to this church and preaches and that church and preaches and that church and preaches. That's not an evangelist. An evangelist is one who is actually going out and proclaiming the gospel. Now, they may preach in a church after they have been out proclaiming and sharing the gospel with those who haven't heard or have not been obedient. But an evangelist is one who is proclaiming the good news to those who have not heard and have not been obedient. The modern work of the evangelist goes out to tell others to come to Jesus and to be faithful to his word. The pastor, the word there simply means shepherd, shepherd. The gift that we are often most familiar with because we see it in operation on a very consistent basis. The pastor is the shepherd of the people in local areas of ministry. Jesus referred to himself as the good shepherd who knew his sheep by name, who cared for them and loved them and, and interacted with them on a very consistent basis. This is the area and the gifting which I've been provided an office to use it in, but the area in gifting which I feel that the Lord has called me most completely to is to pastor, to walk with you, to walk alongside of you, to help you be encouraged in the grace of Jesus, for my family and I to love you and to care for you. That is that pastoral gift, that shepherding gift. I love in those not that I love you to go through a crisis moment, but I'm happy to be there in those crisis moments to help. I'm happy to be there in those times when I can help you walk through a situation and even point you to someone else who is going to be a greater help to you, who operates in a different gifting than I do. Shepherding people. And you are good people to shepherd. And I mean that sincerely. This is a joy. We often talk about the hardships of pastoring. 
or you often hear about the hardships of pastoring, and some congregations are very hard. But that's not the case here. And I praise God for that. My family feel loved. I don't feel overworked. I don't feel underpaid. I'm happy to be here and to operate in the gift. And that's what I want. That's why I want you to know the gifts are available to you to operate in, to walk in, and let's discern together the path the Lord has for us. Teacher, in essence, an instructor, one who is able to go through, and and in fact, much of what I've been doing even in this message today is teaching through. That's why I said I'm kind of getting in the weeds and want a whiteboard because it's a teaching uh, message this morning, expounding on the scriptures in a clear manner, I hope, to build up and to edify. The person who operates in this gift has a passion to know and understand God's word. They're the ones with the commentaries. They're the ones who love to get into Greek and the Hebrew and understand, I'm a teacher. I want to understand exactly what this means, and I'm going to give it to you. The gift of a teacher. There are other gifts Paul mentions in Romans and in Corinthians that he talks about. Now, we'll expand on those on another time. These five have come our way today. I believe by the sovereign grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that some of you, something resonated with you. These gifts are in operation, and they are needed. And what I will tell you, what I've seen pastorally, I don't, I don't, uh, you may be able to dig something out of Scripture here. I haven't necessarily seen this in Scripture, but I've seen it as a pastor, is that when your gift is not in operation, you're going to get antsy. You're going to get antsy. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be a little whiny because your gift is not in operation. God wants your gift to be in operation. And your gift being in operation is necessary for all of us to exist in unity. What I'm calling us to pray about as we bring this message to a close this morning, is what is your gift and how do you employ it for the joy of serving in Christ's body? If you don't know your gift, if you're here, you say, I have no clue what it is. Paul said, pray to prophesy. Desire the prophetic gift. Pray, God, gift me with it some way and give me someone to teach me how to use it. Let's stand together and pray for God's grace on our fellowship this morning.